Hello, and welcome back to Subspace Radio. It's me, Kevin. And me, Rob. And we're here today to talk about two more episodes of Star Trek Prodigy. We have episode 15, Masquerade, and 16, Preludes. Or Preludes. Preludes, yeah. How how fancy do you want to be? How many syllables are there in Preludes? I'll uh, I'll, I'll (laughs) add another five in there. Preludes. What a great couple of episodes of Star Trek, Rob. Yes, yes, they are with some lovely little um, uh, cameos from the past from actors who are still kicking it along in the twilight of their lives. Um, yeah. Coming back, which was a, a, a lovely reveal. Um, the continuing uh, visitation of Okana in the, the first episode. Who you here. were so happy to see come back. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure it amounted to much. Like, he showed up only to leave them in the lurch. Unless he's going to, you know, be the cavalry unexpected in a later episode. I feel like he's done a pretty mediocre task. Yeah, I don't don't feel as if he's going to do a Luke's, uh, sorry, a Han Solo and come down and save Luke just before the end of A New Hope, uh, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's been a lot of things hanging over our heads that we've been querying about the last couple of weeks have been brought into a bit of focus. So we found out yeah. about certain characters past. We found out about what certain characters are evolving into. So it was, um, yeah, a lot, a lot to unpack over uh, the last two weeks. Yeah. Okay. So what stood out for you in Masquerade? Uh, I could tell you what stood out to me is just the jaw-dropping beauty of that sp- pointy things sticking out of the cloud cover of the planet. That shot, you know how I have nerded out on the t- shot of the tiny Enterprise flying yep. towards the behemoth that is the Starbase? Of course. It felt like that all over again in CG beauty. Uh, it took my breath away. Look, you have been uh, harping on in the most uh, positive of ways of uh, the multiple um uh, animated and anim- yeah, computer-rendered uh, vistas and landscape yeah. images that we do get of star fields or uh, just above planets and stuff like that. And this uh, episode carried it on as well. Well, the big reveal and the, the big reveal of this week's episode was we finally found the backstory of Dahl. We found out more about his uh, where he comes from, and that was a huge uh, revelation. The exact phrase was, the handiwork of the protégés of Dr. Eric Soon. Yes. Okay. So he's an augment of, of human plus 26 species. Eric Soon, I believe, is the uh, incarnation of Brent Spiner that we got to meet in Star Trek Enterprise. That's right, yes. Known for uh, starting the augment stuff. What do you make of this? Is this satisfying for Dow's origin for you, Rob? He's obviously all torn up about it. Yeah, it's interesting when it comes to sort of like representation within uh, pop culture or in storytelling and stuff like that. I'm always drawn to uh, what recent events that have happened in Doctor Who with the Jodie Whittaker, Chris Chimdall era. And they introduced this new element of canon that had never been seen before. And it was a massive controversial move. However, there was a, a, a viewership a population of the viewership who come from uh, orphan backgrounds, who are orphans, and they felt that they were seen for the first time in the show. So I'm I'm open up to this idea of going, you know, 
seeing uh, this character who has no family, who has no past. And so there are members of, of the viewing audience who go, I can relate to that um, that storyline of not having a background, not having a past, not having something to, not having a family to tie to. So it's the families that they make along the way. Mm, a genetic orphan in yeah, a sense. Yeah, yeah. With all that sci-fi, higgledy-piggledy and stuff that we just love. But at the root of it, it's it's an orphan um, and the family they have made. And that's why they're so, you know, Dahl is so passionate about uh, saving his crew and, and keeping his crew together. And that's why he gets so jealous easily and all that type of stuff. But the instinct in me at first went, oh, that's a little bit of a cop out. But the more I watched it and the more I thought about it, it was a good representation for, yeah, not traditional forms of family or even heritage. As far as canon connections go, the handiwork of the protégés of Dr. Eric Soong is is pretty darn tenuous, if you ask me. <laughs> er- Eric Soong existed in Star Trek Enterprise, which is pre the original series, so 23rd century. Yes. And this series is set post-Voyager, so late 24th century. So this is like a hundred years removed from that character. Would they still be referring to the these people who are making augments as the protégés of Eric Soong? I don't know. I'm I'm half suspecting they are somehow going to uh, show us an animated Brent Spiner at some point in the series. Why not? Hey, look, if you animate Rodney Cox, that's right. If you animate uh, Bill Campbell. Anyone could be animated. Anyone can be next, yeah. And they are very good at cramming in Brent Spiner anywhere they can fit him. Look, you know, from the actor who protests too much about, oh, you know, it's just a role I play. Um, yeah, he tries to get away and they keep on dragging him back in. Yeah. I, I really liked this fun kind of uh, caper on the planet below where it's a bit of a, you know, no federation zone being in the neutral zone as yeah. it is. And uh, I really liked the the way they walk to that thin line where you can see Dal growing. Like he he knew to follow Janeway's advice. And the reason he failed to follow Janeway's advice was not because he's cocky or naive. It's because he's insecure. It, like it, w- it was revealing a fatal flaw in the character. And, and, and that is really satisfying to see, I think. And it's something they've been pushing a lot since they've encountered Federation is that, mm-hmm. and Janeway has been saying it a lot, real Janeway, not hologram Janeway, going, they're just kids. They are yeah. literally kids controlling this powerful machine. And so, and Dahl's making childish mistakes and kid mistakes, mm-hmm. and he's getting easily manipulated by jealousy um and uh and self doubt and yeah. uh, insecurity all that type of stuff which is the, us as fans need to go oh that's right this is the kids show oh right yeah. yeah 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 so kids going yeah that's fair enough these are important issues and me as a forty four year old going oh oh I thought I'd grown out of that oh <laughs> god yep uh watching Dal kind of mutate in real time was a lot of fun yes that that was a good gag for the show and i was happy to go along with it um speaking of janeway's advice and speaking of this being a kid's show i have a grammar bone to pick with this show Mm -hmm. which is janeway's advice or hologram janeway's advice is if it's too good to be true it probably is which is not the saying. <laughs> that literally means it is true. <laughs> what she meant to say is, 
if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It's a hologram um, glitch. It's a hologram yeah, glitch. Yeah, it is a hologram glitch, I reckon, because <laughs> for no other reason, they establish at the start of this episode that hologram Janeway is on the fritz. And the only evidence we have of this is a brief glitch immediately after Jenkin Pog says that. <laughs> and then as far as I can tell, she's fine apart from that. But this anytime, grammar issue... Anytime the camera's not on her, she's glitching up a storm. <laughs> I had a similar, like, grammar quibble with the next episode. And I don't, like, I don't know. I feel like it's just a quality control thing. There is a sense that these episodes of new Star Trek are coming together pretty fast and pretty hot at times. Yes. There, it takes me back to, there's an early episode of Discovery where on the view screen of the bridge that we are seeing from the other side. So we're seeing the text in reverse yeah. and we're looking through the view screen at the bridge crew and the bridge says something, it says something like standby or red alert or something like that. And two of the letters are 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 in the wrong order so it's misspelled and just the idea that there would be a typo on like the largest text on screen <laughs> that the audience is meant to be paying attention to and reading in reverse uh it, it seems like a very unfortunate mistake and i'm seeing a lot of those kind of little unfortunate mistakes in star trek these days they're trying to pack out the content really quickly and they're yeah. cutting some corners yeah, but if this is the biggest quibble I have with an episode of Star Trek, it's a pretty darn good episode. Yeah, yeah, it was another episode of Reveals. We found out that our um, Trill officer was actually yeah. um, one of... Uh, a Valnikat. Yes, in disguise. Yeah, she, uh, we find out in the next episode is The Vindicator. But what I loved the most about that reveal, Rob, was the mm. fact that her accent changed from American to British when she went from good to evil. I just love the leaning into the, the stereotype there of, oh, yep. now that I'm clearly evil, I will speak in my evil accent. Yes, yes. Well, there are two different <laughs> types of colonizers, American hero colonizers, and British evil colonizers get, yeah, 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 yeah. Just remember that, okay? British <laughs> bad colonizers. American colonizers, we're good. Yes, yes. Um, um, but yes, it was an exciting episode as well because we found out another another big reveal. Murph is developing as well and is not just in humanoid form or well, biped form. Uh, they can, you know, uh, expand their body, move in, you know, they, they know Kung Fu, to quote, apparently. Um, and so uh, Murph's potential is growing as well, because I was a bit, Murph's a like, as I talked about dude. last time, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed when we first saw Murph come out of the cocoon and I went, oh, right, mm. so it's just the same form now with legs. Um, yeah. And hitting, and conveniently hitting the, you know, the torpedo button when it needed to. But now to see, okay, Murph is growing and developing and, and it is uh, becoming more than that. Yeah, ish. Yeah, ish. At, this, at the start when Murph was like just waving the phasers around randomly and, and I was like, oh, sigh. <laughs> and the, the burp fart at the end of the second episode here also, like it is clear he's not, Murph is not going to grow that much. No, 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 no. The whole uh, uh, next episode ends on a fart joke. Oh, burp joke, yeah, sure burp joke which is yeah. great. Mm -hmm. uh, should we move into the second episode? Yes, episode 16, Preludes, which is mm. the inspiration for our uh, grander topic this week, where we just sit around and go, well, well, we're waiting for this thing to be done. 
Let's find out a little bit more about each other. Flashback a palooza. Flashback ahoy hoy. <laughs> it, it just stood out to me in this second episode that the Romulan warbirds kind of gave up pretty easily. Like Very easily. That one group of Tal Shiar got beat on the space elevator, and apparently the Romulans just gave up. They, yeah. They, one thing I, d- I forgot to mention about um, the episode uh, Masquerade is like you were talking about that that yeah. hive of activity within the neutral yeah. zone. Because normally I get this impression that the neutral zone is sort of like this barren wasteland, but there's this thriving black market type of you know, society there surviving literally on the edge of space. Is uh, yeah. It's fascinating just to see a taste of it. Yeah, it reminds me of... Uh, the storylines around uh, the Maquis, where like yes. uh, planets were changing hands as as borders were shifted by geopolitical forces yeah. around the galaxy, and yeah, it gave that same sense of a, an in between place that doesn't exist on any map of the Federation yeah. or the Romulan Empire. And I like seeing that little element of uh, of the Star Trek universe that expands it mm. out from just uh, mm. yeah red, amber, and bluish uniforms. Yeah, the cracks in between. It, it was interesting. Yeah. So, yes, we got to, um, as they were trying to repair things to move on, uh, they sat around and we found out the backstory of not only our heroes, but we also got the backstory of the Diviner, and we got a more clearer view of his journey into our timeline and also uh, the Starfleet influence that caused the destruction of his society. I really liked how cleverly the backstory for the Diviner was thrown in there in amongst the backstories of our other, like, protagonist characters. Yes. It was very deft in that way. Um, That said, the actual story of the Vaunakat and their launching 100 starships from their shattered world uh, and each of them with a dreadnought on board... I'm not sure how shattered this world actually is if they have a hundred <laughs> starships to send in uh, on a on a hope and a prayer. Uh, but the the storyline is one that I am finding less satisfying the more we find out about it. Sure. I don't know why Chakotay, for example, stuck in the future. His move would be to send the ship back into the past, knowing it was armed with a uh, weapon to destroy Starfleet. If, if you got control of the ship, you know, fly it somewhere like a sun. Look, it's br- it's bringing up many issues about how Jakote was as the first in command of the of Voyager anyway. So, I mean, he made a couple of uh, hairy decisions in his time in the... Uh... Oh, granted. Okay, yes. <laughs> this is a story about Jakote's poor judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Look, well, that I, I could be just manufacturing that myself. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to know more about Chicote and his crew. Like, that that first officer bird thing that he was holding on his shoulder. I, be- like, I want to know more about that character. I believe that's actually their official name, yeah. Yes, the bird thing. First yes. officer bird thing. I want to know if it's the same species as Dr. Miglimo. I example. hope so. I really hope so. I wa- Yeah, well, their Mima is going to be very, very yeah, worried about them. So we have to meet yeah. them, Mima as well. Again, in this episode, a few like un- unpolished turns of phrase. Uh, in the Diviner story, one of the things that is mentioned is Starfleet's lies of bold new worlds. I don't know what a bold world is. 
it seems like an awkward combination of to boldly go and strange, and strange new worlds, new worlds. but yes, it doesn't yeah. actually make sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, just a little bit of, you know, one more copywriting pass over the script maybe. Yes. The other one that stood out to me was, um, so maybe Gwyn has me beat, says Dal, and then Zero says, I wouldn't be so sure. We each have things in our past we wish to forget. One sentence doesn't follow from the other. I feel like there were some lines cut from the script here, and then what's left doesn't actually hold together. Well, it's interesting because there were so many writers on this one. I was looking over the, yeah. the writer's list. and Maybe like a writer was writing each character's backstory. Each vignette. That totally yeah. makes sense. For the rest of these vignettes, I just love that they kind of gave us all the backstory at once. I feel like they could have played cagey with these characters for, like they could have strung out these mysteries for much longer. Yeah. Um, but kind of backing up the dump truck of backstory to our doorstep here today and just like giving it all to us in one episode, it was really satisfying. It, and I feel like now we can springboard off of this more confidently into stories, knowing who our characters are. Exactly. And there's still elements of their past that we haven't got. Like we've only got uh, Rock up to a certain point and even Jacob as well. And so it's how they got captured as opposed to their entire life story. So it's a good, you know, good catch up for us to go, right, we know a little bit more that shapes them who they are. Um, it's and... interesting seeing the Kazon become the kidnappers of the Delta Quadrant. That mm -hmm. I suppose when we first meet the Kazon, they are kidnapping Kess. And so what we are learning is this is a pattern for them. <laughs> this is this is a part of their culture, apparently. So yeah, we need apparently to, we need to acknowledge and accept. No, 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 no. It strikes me as a strange way to make money. We will capture one at a time random stragglers around the galaxy and sell them as slaves. It's a bit, <laughs> I'm not sure what the return on investment is on a custom box that makes whale sounds on an asteroid in order to capture one Medusin, if you're lucky. Look, if you're lucky. Look, the, uh, the, the Kazon are about quality, not quantity. So <laughs> That's right. They're going, right. <laughs> going for pure kidnapping quality right here. So, yeah, um, yeah I, some of the bridging lines from one flashback to the next was quite clunky and probably needed mm. a go over one or two more times because it's very much a case yeah. of, so how about you? Who is yes, next? Yes. Yeah. I so, want to hear your story. Your story. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I don't know how I feel about Zero just kind of deciding because they care, they can read everyone's minds. That justification didn't quite hold up to me. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a mechanical wave of all this type of moral ambiguity. <laughs> yeah, going, yeah. Because yeah, so many people have used the word care as an excuse, <laughs> and that it, it, it doesn't hold much water. Rock Talk's story, I really liked this uh, story of Rock Talk kind of being the dancing bear in a ring match with the hero and the fact that they didn't speak each other's language. And so the story is told yes. very much wordlessly, except for the narration by Rock Talk. And it's, um, it's a charming little story. You can read a lot of the subtleties of this story on the faces of the characters, and it's really enjoyable for that reason. And that hero was still out there somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. You know? uh, looking, looking like he feels real guilty about what happened to Rock Talk. So, yeah. yeah, he may, he may come back. And I'd be okay with that. It's not a case of going. Oh, so would I. Milk in this one. 
There's, yeah, rough edges showing all over this episode. Like, there's a, a line where uh, Rock says, after the comedy routine, I didn't get my bowl full of Nutri-Goop only half, but what is shown in the visuals only. is just a tiny droplet yeah. and an empty bowl. And it's just like, ooh, the, the words and the visuals don't line up there. That strikes me as something that could only happen if you're in a rush. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's the thing. So many chefs in this episode and yeah. um, and and no they really needed someone in charge to like to have a bit clearer uh go through it one more time it was funny in and cute in some ways but uh, i was like going that's the reason why jake and pog keeps on saying jake and pog he's <laughs> he's been psychologically worn down to the point yes. of you know it is emotionally crippled and psychologically damaged forever because of this it situation is- it is a Jason Manzukas story, if ever there was one. I feel like this is, again and again, Jason Manzukas is cast to be um, the, the broken brain character yes. of the series. Um, his, his character in The Good Place yes. very much echoes into Jenkem Pog for me, where I was like, ah, okay, he says Jenkem Pog, not because that's how... He was taught to speak or how he's brought up or how Tellerites speak. He says it because yeah. a, a a droid drove him batty on, on a ship for, for a period of time. I did like the uh, subtle... I could get on board with it. I did like the subtle shift of his voice. He did really well, like... Yeah. Just the slightly younger uh, yeah. and, a, and a bit more wide-eyed Jenkin Pog, and then that wore him down. And so I, I just picked it up the second time I watched him and that's a really subtle change, Manzuka. So, Yeah, I liked it too. The idea that the Tellarites, before they became part of the Federation, they would send their orphans out on deep space missions. Yes. Is, like that's a tantalizing detail of a, uh, a species that has not really been fleshed out in Star Trek lore, other than they are grumpy. Uh, so I'm really like, I'm enjoying that. I think it's it's kind of like cruel and, and terrifying, but it's an interesting detail. Exactly. Yeah. It's great to have, you know, the, this is when you're doing it right. It's like, it's the big thing that's yeah. going on in the Star Wars universe as well. Like with the, the uh, creation of Andor, everyone's going, mm. finally, this is what uh, Star Wars can be. It can be, stories told by different type of voices and different levels of perception and, 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 and that type of stuff. So what we've seen in these last couple of episodes of Prodigy is completely different to what, like we've gone through, you know, the tail end of one, but three seasons of Star Trek in, you know, the course of however many months we've been doing this, just in one year. And mm. what we got from Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks and now Prodigy completely different but all very much within that universe and expanding characters that we've seen before species that we have seen before giving them more depth it's it's a very exciting time to see that world building happen and just have Mm. a tantalizing little uh, reveal of this brutal harsh element of a character and a a species that we've only seen as oh they're grumpy Uh, um i love that type of stuff i love that taking that time to Mm. to uh really you know dive into all those little details. Yeah. Uh, Zero's story had me thinking of you just because that that glowing green box that was the trap for Zero, uh, it was was very distinctly making whale song sounds. And I thought, is this going to be the Star Trek for 
uh, whale probe tie-in that Rob has been I'd waiting look. for his entire life. I want to find out what happened to Dr. Jillian. You know, what, yeah. <laughs> where the hell is she? She was on a science vessel. Yeah. I want to see her around the galaxy. That's right. Bring Dr. Jillian back. Come on. You bring back <laughs> Ronnie Cox. Bring back. In all in all seriousness, I felt like Zero's vignette was the disappointing one for me. Like it was beautiful. And maybe maybe it was the animator interns that were let loose on that one, but I feel like there was not a lot of story there. It was very short, wasn't it? It was like yeah, it, was, it was very short. Um they go. I've had freedom. All I can remember is freedom. And it was a short yeah. little thing. We just saw yeah. one thing being eaten by another thing and then a green box with Kazons. The Medusans have ships. Show me that. Yeah. Like that ship that they landed on. I'm like, what is a ship for Medusans? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They obviously don't need it to protect them from space. So it's just to get around quickly. And, and how would you design a ship? for gaseous cloud creatures. And the move- I want to see inside that. And ship. the movement of them as well. They're very much like just individual globs floating around. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I'd, I'd like to see more of this, you know, maybe a possible choreography or a, a blending or how that works. It's just this case yeah. of it was the barest minimum that they could do, in yes. my in my humble opinion. Yeah. Uh, anything else from this episode stand out before we dive into the past? Uh, massive cliffhanger. What's happened? Oh, what's going to yeah. happen with uh, Janeway? Karate chopped. Karate chopped on the shoulder. She's out cold. Oh, they knocked her out. That's right. Yep, they karate chopped her. <laughs> they did a karate chop of all the ways they could have knocked her out. Oh, yeah. It's uh, so satisfying. <laughs> In so many ways, Star Trek has come so far, yet they are not above a good 1960s Hi-ya. Saturday morning. Hi-ya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, always, I always think of uh, Miss Piggy as well. So uh, It's so good. But yeah, so because of especially this week's episode of Prodigy, it got us thinking about the good old flashback. Yes. I should say off the top, um, if you haven't been listening to Subspace Radio uh, since the beginning, if you want to see more of this kind of stuff discussed, you can go back to Subspace Radio episode two, where we talked about times that Star Trek literally visited old episodes of Star Trek. Uh, and we visited the episode entitled Flashback with uh, Tuvok's past on the Excelsior during the events of Star Trek six. But for this time around, we're going to take a slightly different angle. And, and like this week's episode of Prodigy, we're, we're looking at flashbacks that reveal the past of one of our characters mm. in some way. So I have a few, and I suspect we might agree on one of them. Well, uh, yeah, I've gone back to old Rob within this series. I've just solely focused on Deep Space Nine, and I found... Okay. I, I rewatched them today, and I just... Yes. Oh, my... These two episodes are just... They're good, eh? Pure gold. So, yes, I'm... I Okay. I think I know at least one of the ones you're talking about, but let's let's do this chronologically, and I'll get the TNG episodes <laughs> out of the way for us. That's what we know, Kevin. So the, you the, bring the TNG. I did. Uh, I almost brought in an episode of Enterprise this week because in my memory, Carbon Creek, the Enterprise episode focusing very much on Jolene Blaylock's visitation of 1950s Earth, to me, 
In my memory, that was a Tapal story, but it was actually Tapal's grandmother. Right. And so when I looked at it, I went, "Nope, that that's that's against the rules. That's not revealing <laughs> Tapal's past. It's revealing Tapal's grandmother's past. So it's out." Good. But I'm sure we'll get an excuse to talk about Carbon Creek another day. An excellent episode of Enterprise. Well, Memory Alpha does do because they're just incredible. I typed in flashback episodes, and I did see there were uh, the odd uh, Enterprise one. I went, "Ah, well." Oh, shame <laughs> I haven't watched anything more than just the first episode. Yeah. Well, my first episode uh, this time around is from season five of Star Trek The Next Generation, episode 12, Violations. It's an uncomfortable watch, this episode. It is an atypical rape story. Right. Um, this is a story of a psychic rape or the presence of a psychic rapist on board the Enterprise. It is this species called the Yulians who call themselves archaeologists of the mind or of memory. And they have this uh, talent where they can help you recover forgotten memories by sitting with you and talking you through a half-remembered image in your mind. Suddenly you can... They can they can tease that memory back to the surface so you can rediscover it. And this this species is going around the galaxy recovering and chronicling uh, forgotten memories to compile in their library. And it's a really interesting idea, except that one of these Yulians has a problem. <laughs> That's being very uh, diplomatic. Where, yeah, well, he gets his kicks violating people's memories, inserting himself into them in a traumatic way and feeding off that psychic trauma or traumatic experience in, in kind of a power trip. Um, but... Uh, setting aside, you know, it is a good episode, I think, if you can get past the fact that it is a story about rape. A lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff is about how the writers were kind of excited to find a sci-fi way to tell a story about rape without making it literally about the physical act of rape. Mm -hmm. And that's like, in some ways, what Star Trek does best is take an uncomfortable subject and make it approachable by you know, cloaking it in sci-fi. As the best sci-fi does, yeah. Yeah, and that's what this episode does. Uh, but the specific memories that are brought to the surface are these glimpses of our characters' pasts. And the one that was especially memorable to me is Dr. Crusher's memory that the alien recovers. And this is the memory of the time her husband, Jack Crusher, died. We have heard through several episodes that Captain Picard delivered the news of her yes. husband's death, and, and he has felt guilty or felt like he, he owes her and her son Wesley any help he can give them for the rest of their lives because of this debt that he owes them. And we get to actually see... Picard walking Crusher to the morgue and, and viewing the body of her dead husband. And uh, Picard is made up to look younger. He has a little more hair on his head. It's like one of the few times we see Picard with hair on his head. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, again, it is very quickly twisted into something that didn't actually happen in the episode. But nevertheless, we get to see a glimpse of these younger versions of our characters in their past that is very intriguing to me. As a lore episode, uh, these glimpses you get in here in Violations are, are really intriguing. I wish we had seen more of our TNG characters' pasts while the actors were young enough to pull it off. Yeah, very much. Um, and there are elements of it in Star Trek V with you mm. know, Cybok using 
the those painful memories from the past to you know, convert you into believing his um, his belief, which is in many ways a you know psychological manipulation, uh, not to the deep violation extent. Um, with a, oh gosh, I can't believe we didn't put Star Trek Five on this list, Rob. Look, yeah, I'm always wanting to bring Star Trek Five into the conversation. <laughs> so, it's just been in my head the whole time. That beautiful moment from um, Shatner, and he does it well. It's one of the few good moments in the film when they you go, you know, I want my pain, I need my pain. That type mm. of stuff just hits me and it stays with me. It's a beautiful moment of what makes us who we are and how yeah. and how we. Uh, how we you know, move forward as as human beings by by using that pain. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a beautiful moment. So that does connect in many ways, not as intensely, obviously, as in violations, but that same type of mental manipulation to um, to to get what you want, or whether it's the kicks or whatever. Speaking of Nemesis, there is a prominent um, photograph of. Uh, Picard's Academy days shown in Nemesis where he is already bald at the Academy uh, <laughs> because it's Tom Hardy with a bald cap yes. on. And um, and this directly contravenes the glimpse of Picard we get to see here in Violations with, uh, you know, a balding but previously full head of hair. And uh, yeah, it, it is unfortunate. I think either they forgot or they really needed to make clear to us that... Uh, Patrick Stewart could have looked like to a bald Tom yeah. Hardy when he was younger. Like, they needed to sell us on that by showing us the picture. And look, it was a very loose, tenuous connection between Tom Hardy and Patrick Stewart. So, they were, yeah, they were packing it in quite hard to, yeah. to make it work. Not the worst thing about that movie, but it's close. Yeah, well, look, they're, they're, yeah, <laughs> we can bring out the list. The, we could bring out, yeah. I'm sure every Star Trek fan has their PowerPoint presentation to talk you through what's wrong. With Nemesis. Yeah. Should I go into my second episode of TNG? Yes, 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 of course. Kick on. So number two is the next season, season six, episode 15, Tapestry. And this is a classic episode of The Next Generation. It's on a, on a must-watch list for sure. This is the episode in which Picard dies in the cold open. Right. Uh, from a phaser blast to the chest, his artificial heart stops and he dies on the table in sickbay and he awakens in a white void and discovers uh, there waiting for him in the afterlife is Q. And Q <laughs> is there to uh, kind of do the, the ghost of Christmas past sort of thing and say, well, here at the end of your life, do you have any regrets, Mon Capitan? And Picard admits that in his youth, he, he was a risk taker, he was a hothead, and if he had only learned the lessons of maturity and moderation earlier in life, he might not have gotten stabbed in the back by a Nausicaan in a barroom brawl, which left him with that artificial heart that ultimately was responsible for his death. And he's like, if only I had grown up a little sooner, I wouldn't be stuck here with you for the rest of eternity, Q. And Q goes, well, I've got just the thing. I'm going to take you into your past and you can, you can change your fate. Uh, and this entire episode, or the bulk of it, is a flashback to Picard's Academy days, but uh, Patrick Stewart playing his younger self. Right. To, to Patrick Stewart, to himself in the mirror, he looks like uh, Patrick Stewart. Yes. But to everyone else, 
He is young Picard. And we do get a oh, glimpse a little bit of, of li- young A little bit Picard. of quantum leap there. Excellent. Yes, exactly. It's the quantum leap version. Um, we do get a glimpse of young Picard. We get, get to see from the outside that barroom brawl where Picard gets stabbed in the back and then kind of collapses to his knees with a spike sticking out of his chest and looks down and laughs at it. <laughs> and, uh, and it is played, uh, I think, remarkably well by uh, an actor named Marcus Nash. Um, not known for a lot, Marcus Nash. And um, I'm not sure he even has any lines in this episode, but he looks more like a young Patrick Stewart than anyone who has ever, certainly more than Tom Hardy. I was just about to say, are you going to single out Mr. Hardy again? Please do. Yeah, I think there have been several times where they have tried to convince us uh, this is what what Picard looked like when he was younger, most recently in season two of Star Trek Picard. And I never quite bought it as hard as I bought it right here in, in this barroom brawl. Marcus Nash really does look like a young Patrick Stewart um, in a really interesting way. Anyway, it is a hilarious episode. This is one of Ron Moore's first episodes that he wrote for Star Trek, the next generation. And it is just full of classic Q lines that, as as Picard is like admitting to him that oh you know if if I hadn't gone head to head with that Nausicaan, I wouldn't wouldn't have gotten stabbed in the back. <laughs> Q reclining on a on a beer keg goes. Oh, it's a touching story, isn't it? Gets you right here, <laughs> and he, he pats his chest with his fist and just. I was laughing out loud watching this show for what must have been the seventh or eighth time. It (laughs) still surprises and delights me. Um, Young Picard uh, tries to be the good cadet he wished he had been. He manages to alienate his two closest friends who no longer recognize him. Um, I'll, I'll, Skip over the details because it is just so delightful to watch. I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. But having done this and having successfully avoided the Nausicaan's spike, uh, Q transports him back to present day on the Enterprise. And sure enough, he lives. But he lives as a lieutenant junior grade wearing the most demeaning uniform color on the Enterprise. It is the green uniform. Oh, we know, we know the yellow, we know the red, we even know the blue, but rarely seen is the green uniform. Yeah, like, it is, it, we'd even take Wesley, you know, Wesley Crusher's whatever the hell his uniform was yeah. over the green. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, very rare. Uh, like, I think we've seen it in like um, some science uh, officers or a, a, an occasional medical officer will be in kind of an emerald green wow. color that just highlights how much he does not fit in on this <laughs> ship. And there is a brilliant scene at the end of this episode where Lieutenant Junior Grade Picard confronts Troy and Riker in 10 Forward and like sits down with them and says, hey, I want to talk about my career. I think I could go places. I'd love to get into command. And it is very awkward. It is the most awkward job interview you've ever seen where <laughs> Troy and Riker are like, we should probably talk about this in private. Oh, well, let's, we should talk about this some other time. And Picard goes, no, I insist. This is very important to me. And they say, hasn't this always been the problem with you, uh, 
Lieutenant Picard. You have lofty goals, but you're never willing to do the hard thing、ah. in order to achieve what you're what you're after.、Um, you need to stand out on a ship like this if you're going to progress. And Picard is so. Crestfallen. This is not a good episode about、uh, growth mindset, shall we say? <laughs> like Picard basically says, "Oh, okay, I'm the nobody on this ship. I don't want to live as the nobody on the ship. I give up." Q, you were right. Let me out of this hellscape <laughs> where I'm a lieutenant on the USS Enterprise. Breathe. In green uniform, he very quickly gives up. But I think it's just because they ran out of episode yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get this thing moving along. Come on. Yeah. But、um, yeah, watching Picard's Academy days and watching him learn to appreciate his younger, hot-headed self、uh, is a delight. All of the characters in these flashbacks are wearing your favorite uniform, Rob, the、Dude. Monster Maroon. Lovely.、Uh, there is、um, uh, Picard's best friend、um, in one. Scene that stood out to me on this watch. He actually buttons it closed on camera. Right. And the you know the kind of magnetic zippers that that are meant to like hold it together. They don't quite line up, so <laughs> it, it kind of hangs a little awkwardly. But it feels so much more real、yeah. than the the、uh, you know the upgraded monster moon that we saw in Strange New Worlds this year. Yes.、Uh, it was very satisfying <laughs> to watch an entire episode. Of of monster maroons. Good to have him back. We love the monster maroons. Yeah. All right. Let's head into Deep Space Nine. We are. I, I am hoping you have、uh, pulled one of the episode, like the remaining episode that's on my list. I I, I assume I will. We'll get to it、mm. because it's later、mm. on down the track. But we're getting、okay. into season two, episode eight, with one of my favorite episodes of all time. It's it's incredible episodes. It's necessary evil. This is it. This is the one I picked. This is the one you picked. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? It's just, I'm rewatching it today. It was like the first time in a couple of years, and I just went, "Oh, it!" <sighs> I mean, you just—I watched it this morning, and I was like, "Ah,、oh, I forgot Deep Space Nine was ever this good." Yeah, it is. Like it's three kinds of good in one episode. It works on so many levels, and there's stuff about Odo that they haven't brought back. They didn't、yeah. do much of is him as an investigator and. Him as a non-humanoid being able to pick all the—it's very much him as Sherlock Holmes, really. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, they could have done a procedural series of just Constable Odo. It's one of our earlier episodes of seeing、um, D Space Nine when it was Tarek Nor. So the lighting's different, the feel is、uh-huh. different. It's darker, it's colder, it's more harsh with the lights.、Um, the Cardassians are just. Fat with corruption and power, and、uh, that's a metaphorical fat. I'm doing that in those commas. And you see how tough it was for the Bajorans and how they were treated, and Odo's perception within that. I wrote down a couple of lines because、mm. it's just beautifully played by Renaud Bourgeois. I mean, just giving him an episode just to himself. You just go, and here you go. You have. Thirty years of experience at that point as a stage screen actor, let him go. He says in voiceover, "In this job, there is no unfinished business." This is a noir. This、yeah. episode because the conceit is that Cisco has forced him to start keeping a security log, <laughs> and his first security log is Cisco is forcing me to make this security log. Humans are so stupid; everything's under control. End of log. Yeah, and the part where he goes very quickly. Because they need to remember everything. 
I've got it all in my head. It's fine. Everything's under control. But very quickly, he starts to indulge himself as he gets sucked into this mystery, and he uses his log to tell the the gritty the gritty inner monologue of the investigator. It's incredible, and it's just like, but there's great comedy in there as well. So when you flash back into regular time, the fact that Quark is on death's door and uh, Rom is accused of doing it, and Rom doesn't have that much sorrow for the fact that oh, I can have the bar; it's mine now. <laughs> You're not you're not keeping him alive by artificial means. Cork wouldn't want no. that. And just and right near the end, it's almost at the point of cheesy. So yeah. Quark is almost killed again for the second time. Rom saves him by screaming in his usual high pitched squeal. Odo comes and saves him. He's still screaming. He goes, "It's all over. It's all over, Rom. He's saved. You saved your brother's saved. life. And then he you're a hero. And then he screams again because his brother's alive. And the camera pans down <laughs> to an unconscious." Quark and his uh -huh. lifeless face just curls up into a smile. Yeah, um, it's beautiful. So that is in this episode when you've got all I know. With everything else going on, this is a great Quark and Rom episode. Yes. This Ferengi double act comic duo, they are the clowns of the episode. And it is oh uh, young Quark during the occupation. Oh. He's like Quark at 11, and I loved oh, that, it. It just is the beautiful so moment where he goes, you know, you want a drink? He goes, I don't drink. Okay, you want a soft drink? I don't yeah, he drink. pulls out the little drink with the yeah. sparkly. <laughs> and then later on he goes, how about companionship? companionship. And you go, oh. It's so good. The heart of this episode is, and it's always my favorite relationship within the whole Star Trek series is Odo and Kira. Um, yeah, it's a foundational story between Odo and Kira. This is like some of the earliest of them admitting to each other that their relationship is special. Yes. Ages before it becomes romantic. but hey, And that's the type of stuff yeah. we were crying out for because I kind of think at this point there's elements of you kind of sense Odo yeah, has. Yeah, there's a vibe. Yeah, there's that vibe of Odo. And I think it's even even clearer like because Kira's moving from, you know, she, she gets around. She's very much the Chakotay of Deep Space Nine. And you always see that defeated heir to Odo, but this is a really powerful one of how they actually first met. And you talk about Noir, the first time yeah. they meet, he sits down and tries to pull a detective from a Noir line. What's a pretty girl like you dating alone? Beautiful. Uh, and she, uh, she calls him constable for the first time in that scene. Yes. Uh, the very last line is Kira saying, everyone has to choose sides, constable. Oh. And I, I was like, wait, was that it? Was that the first time someone said constable to him? And I rewatched the scene. And yes, he doesn't introduce himself by name or by title. She gives him that title yes. in that moment. And I hadn't forgotten, but it was good to be just, you know, my memory refreshed that he got his creation from Gul Dukat. So much good comes out of evil. And the final scene, I mean, it's written by uh, Peter Allen Fields, who uh, is an incredible writer, and he will be showing up again in my next episode. Ooh. Incredible writer. Yeah. A twisty mystery. The twist at the end for me is really satisfying. Yeah. I, I think I was expecting, like... All through this, I was enjoying the journey, but I just naively assumed the actual mystery would be uninteresting. Like, I thought, you know, we know who the guilty party is. It's obvious. And then they 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 pull a fast one on us, and it is so much richer for And it. it's incredible going back and watching it, because I hadn't seen it mm. for a while. And when yeah. 
um, Odo says the line, you're not a very good liar. And they're going, hang uh-huh. on, this is what? And then at the end, the twist goes, of course, she's she's the best liar. She's yeah. She's been working this rebellion for years. Um, and that final, it's it's perfect 90s TV type stuff where, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's what I grew up with in the 90s with watching all those type of shows. And, you know, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine did it just like all the other shows at that time that were at the top of their game, that final scene with the two characters, it's just two characters talking and how their relationship has changed because of the events mm. that happened. For her to reveal, you know, because you're so special to me and your opinion is so important to me, and do you think you can ever trust me again? And just that final shot, which is so 90s of just the two of them. Unresolved. Unresolved. Yeah. And it's a profile shot, and you've got Kira just desperately looking at him, and Odo resting up against his chair and his head down and it just fades to you know the producer credits and you just go oh <laughs> so good such yeah. a good episode and just like <sighs> his outfit as well it's so much a better outfit with the high collar and it's all like like it feels like it's cold in Torak Noor. Yeah. the color scheme like it's all grays and blues and cold and harsh backlight lots of harsh yeah. backlight which is a lot of burlap on the wall for some reason <laughs> yes it's 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 a cardassian thing so, yeah. yeah um i just love it it's such a beautiful episode all i remembered about this episode was that there was an episode set on terok nor during the occupation yeah and i was like oh i'll go find that uh I, I did not remember anything else about this episode so it was a delight to rediscover yeah this is yeah this is one that always stuck in my head i just every time i as soon as we said flashback and said, I've got to find it. Um, and yeah, it's René Bourgeois in top form. It's Nina Vista in top form. Uh, the others sort of like in the background. So you don't have, you don't have Cisco or Dax or that in it much. Um, and you know, you've got Gul Dukat in top form. So Mark's in top form. Max is in top form as Rom. It's, you know, Armin Shimmerman shows that shade of when he's dark, you know, dark quark and when he's lightened up. Mm. So yeah, it's it's an incredible episode. Necessary Evil, season two, episode eight. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's uh, a work the fact of that art. that's a season two episode, and my episodes of TNG were of season five and six, is a testament to just how quickly DS Nine found its confidence. A lot of people say, "Oh, it didn't find its feet until season four. I go, "No, no, no! It was hitting some really impressive uh, strides in in the early seasons." Where's our last stop in Deep Space Nine history? Our last stop in Deep Space Nine history is one of the greatest Star Trek episodes of all time. It is In the Pale Moonlight. Ooh, okay. I don't remember this one being a flashback. Talk me through it. Yeah, again, written by Peter Allen Fields. Well done, you, sir. It is the great, the incredible uh, Avery Brooks looking down the barrel of the camera recording his diary entry um, and he is talking directly to us about what he has done in the last two weeks. He's forgotten how how much time has passed in such a short window of opportunity. And it's about the Dominion War has been slogging on for months. Uh, every day or every week, he has to put up the names of the casualties and he has to watch. Uh, every Thursday, he has to go and watch the people you know, he knows goes and try and find her. Uh, people they know or people they or whether their names are on the board and he comes up with a bold plan because the main 
source of contention is that the Romulans have not entered the war. They have signed a, a treaty of no involvement with the Dominion. Uh, Beta Z is taken over, invaded in 10 hours. Off screen. Off screen. Oh, it, is, it is brutal that they invade Beta Z off screen yes. and leave it to your imagination. And other planets are at risk. Vulcan, Alpha Century, all that type of stuff. As always, when you want something dastardly done, you turn to a tailor. Uh, <laughs> and so, of course, it's one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine and one of the best episodes of Star Trek because you have Andrew Robinson as Garrick, front and center, uh, ah, yeah. as the devil in your ear and giving you not what you want, but definitely what you need. Whether you, whether you are prepared to ask for it or yeah. not. Yeah. And so uh, they go down the slippery slope of how can they convince uh, or cheat or lie, dwink the Romulans into entering the Dominion War. And so it's compromise after compromise after compromise that Cisco has to do. And this is the fall of Cisco as the hopeful diplomat into uh, the, you know, the man behind the machinations of uh, the Dominion War. So it's an incredible episode of uh, Garrick there pushing him further to go far than he would ever want to go before. And mm. um, a beautiful resolution at the end where he just goes, yeah, I, I would do it all again. And it's all in flashback. So as he is talking to the camera, to the recording, he goes, there's voiceover as well. And it goes back to the two weeks of him seeing the compromises that he makes, seeing the high body count in this episode. Um, yeah. Uh, this is like in the heart of Dominion War, season six, episode 19. Yeah, it's very much that sort of um, narrated structure that we saw with Odo in the previous episode as well. So I'm not surprised that it's the same writer, obviously like comfortable with that that narrated storytelling Yes, in a sense. It's, um, it, yeah, you it's very effective. Yeah, and you see how... It really is a reveal of Cisco as a character. Yeah, the, it reveals the inner world of the character in a way you don't normally get. I mean, there's a whole when, there's a yeah. whole episode we can do on Star Trek's connection to Shakespeare. I mean, Nimoy with his writing in the Star Trek movies, in Star Trek, his involvement with the writing of the Star Trek movies was always putting Shakespeare front and center. You see it in Star Trek Two. You see it in Star Trek Six, even more so. You see it in Star Trek Four. He just brings in Shakespeare, and that has stayed. It has lingered with Star Trek, and this is very much um, a soliloquy, an hour-long soliloquy by Cisco. He doesn't confide in his friends or his uh, people. He confides in the audience. The perfect yeah. example of a Shakespearean soliloquy. He even says that he said, "I can't even tell. I can't tell anybody. Not even Dax, my oldest friend." In the same way that something like Best of Both Worlds that we talked about recently pioneered the cliffhanger season finale format, I feel like this was an early example of, of a story structure that has definitely become cliche and overdone in TV, which is the cold open that is like, I bet you're wondering how things got this crazy. <laughs> now let's rewind like yeah. 24 hours earlier and we get to see the whole story up until up until the climax that we have already gotten to see a glimpse of at the start of the episode. This, I think, though, the introduction of the narration and the fact that you get to see, you get to hear the character reflecting on their own actions, their own choices, their own compromises yeah. uh, is what enriches it beyond the lazy flashback, I'll say, in inverted commas. There, there's so much so. You, the flashback is the evidence 
and it's mm. it's almost well it is it's Cisco pleading his case not only to us the audience but to himself there are moments where he stops almost addressing the audience and it's more to himself defending himself and his actions going you know it was another Thursday I don't want to I, I, another list and another list and another list people are dying and he says planets yeah. are dying and you know um and that's his arguing with his own inner demons. It's beautiful. And then to have a final confrontation when uh, Garrick has gone the steps that Cisco didn't want to admit that he was willing to go to. There's an mm. incredible confrontation with a bloodied up uh, Garrick just there going, this is everything. And if we are sacrificing two people and a criminal to save thousands, millions of lives, I would do it again. And Cisco admits that as well. And there's the re often repeating uh, gif and meme going around of Cisco raising his glass to the camera, right down the barrel yeah. of the camera. That's I can live with it. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It, it's a great way of seeing, not only is the flashback finding out more about the character, but you see in that 45 minute episode, you see Cisco change. Yeah. You see him. Oh, this one, it would not have occurred to me because it is not a literal, um, like, trip into years years and decades past of a of a character's origin. But you're absolutely right. That is a, it is a flashback that reveals character in a way that we've never seen before. So, yeah, um, in the pale moonlight. He deletes his log at the end of that Of episode, course right? he friggin' does. Of course oh, he so does. Good. As soon as he starts going, this is my personal log, and going, this is not going to stay. <laughs> There's no. It's between him and the audience. Yep. It's so good. And it's Between him and the camera. It's a beautiful, beautiful episode, and I highly recommend it. I would put it in one of the top 10 episodes of Star Trek of all time and in the top five D Space Nine episodes easily. Well, thank you. Uh, some great flashbacks. I have to admit, when I went looking, the ones that we've had are super memorable and great episodes, but not quite as many as I was expecting to find. Yeah. Of, like, I think in some ways, it it's the easiest way to introduce a character that rather than revealing through story, they reveal by telling a origin story. Mm -hmm. It's just, it is not a pattern that Star Trek has leaned on as often as I thought it had. It's definitely a trait that's used a lot in um, genre-based television of that 90s era and early mm. noughties. It's surprisingly not as many in Star Trek as, uh, but we found enough. Yeah, we sure did. Yeah, so um, uh, it's good to uh, chin wag again. We, we're, we're getting yeah. close to the end of Prodigy season we one. We sure are. It's it's uh, We're running short of episodes in Prodigy. I think I will left. be... Yeah, four left, and it will not have outstayed its welcome, I predict. This is feeling like a very well-paced season, and it will leave me wanting more. I am, yeah, I'm quite happy that the members of the Proto-Star have uh, found their way into my heart. Mm -hmm.